0: Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. Our producer, William Jeffries. And today we have a special guest. He is the former director of mobile at Vice Media, Ben Jackson. How's it going, Ben?
1: Not bad. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Ben, give us a little information about yourself. Yeah, sure. I left Vice in May to open up a firm called For The Win. It's a consulting firm for small teams with big plans. We use research, data, and design thinking to help companies grow up without losing their edge. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys about people operations today.
2: That's awesome. What exactly is people operations?
1: Thanks for asking. Well, people operations, it's its operations. And if you've heard of developer operations or design operations or any of the other sort of newer emerging branches of, of operations, it's like those except it's for humans. Mm. It's... You know what some people like to call wetware problems. Get it? Because your wet. brain is squishy. Because your brain is squishy and wet. It's <laughs> wet not wet hardware. hardware. It's not software. It's wetware. It's wetware. Wet oh, okay. So what? What separates like people operations from just HR? You know. So people operations. It's a branch of HR that is concerned, or maybe some people might call it a rebranding of HR to sound cooler. Mm. But it's concerned with using design data-driven decision-making, and really applying a more rigorous approach to how we manage our people. Mm, Everything from, you know, things like pulse surveys that will help you get what's called a net promoter score from your employees to find out, you know, theoretically how happy they are, how likely they are to recommend you to somebody who is considering working with you. It also includes a ton of things around Slack and Slack bots and all the integrations. And it also, you know, I mean, it's even just the the everyday tools that you use for things like setting up benefits, filing your expenses, and really optimizing all of those to to get the most out of your people.
3: Okay, gotcha. So it's like really systematizing something like with data and uh, metrics to drive like to the true best solution rather than just like making an assumption about how things should be at the company.
1: I like to think that there isn't really one true solution. I might put it as using data and design and technology to make smarter, more well-informed decisions Mm. about your people. Okay. Incrementally better. Always improving. Continual improvement.
0: What are some of the things you do or what are some tips or tricks that you would do to find finding people to work at a particular establishment?
1: So, for hiring, I mean, I think the most important thing for hiring is making sure that the culture at your workplace is good enough that, you know, when people are looking at it and they walk in, you know, they see people smiling. They don't see people fighting. Okay. And that, you know, when people ask around, they hear good things about your company. You know, word travels very, very quickly. It's a very small industry, technology and design, relatively speaking. Especially with Glassdoor and like platforms like that. Like, you know, you have
3: some bad experiences and then that's like on your permanent record, basically. It's a lot
1: like app store reviews. Mm. If there are any mobile developers in the audience, I'm be sure familiar <laughs> with those. Oh you man, those bad, poor Android reviews. You get a bad app store review and, and, you know, that is your reputation. That is how people gauge your reputation. And sites like Glassdoor, but even just, you know, the Whisper Network in New York, San Francisco, LA, the other hubs, you know, people talk and they, they know if your place is not a place where people are super happy.
3: Right, it's a smaller community than you would think, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you want to attract good talent, you know, making sure you've got good word of mouth from from people who've worked for you and, and, you know, who've worked for you in the past. But also, I think, you know, really thinking about your company brand, not just as it is presented to consumers, but as it's presented to potential candidates. So and this is kind of a running theme throughout my work of applying the same standards of quality and, and the same methodologies that we use for consumer facing products to to things that aren't necessarily we don't think about as consumers. But, you know, I and mean, what's your what does your career page on your website look like? You know, who wrote the copy for that?
3: Yeah, it's important to like make sure that it actually reflects mm-hmm. what you actually do. And when you're selling it, you don't want to set the expectations to a different place than where. You actually are. Mm-hmm. And so, like, making sure that, that that brand is carried through with the day-to-day lives. Of yeah. People. You
1: know, are the, are the job listings written in the voice of the company? Or are they, you know, copied and pasted from some other job site?
2: Mm-hmm. So, how do you operationalize this? Like, what is the... When I hear people ops, what... I assume, is that we're systematizing this, we're automating it in some way. Sort of the way that, you know, with DevOps, people are more and more automating the process of building their app and deploying it.
1: So I think, you know, automation, while it's a really, really interesting and important and emerging field of this stuff, it's much more about processes and the system part of that systemization. Because for most of these things, you know, the the, the dirty secret is there there aren't really processes at most places everybody is kind of winging it because everybody is doing so many different things you know you you have a lot of people whose title is they call them hr generalists and that's, that's literally what they do they're hr people who just they do all the things and they do their best to do every single one of those things you know as well as they can but you know, it's very, very difficult to be great at every single thing that an HR person needs to be great at, you know, right. being a if, legal mind. If and the also, company's even smaller, then maybe yeah. there uh, might even be a person with that title, mm-hmm. but someone's doing those jobs. Yeah, everything roped into it. Mm-hmm, compliance, onboarding, you know, exit interviews, all these things, you know, a lot of people, they just, they they learn it on the job. So is there a certain point in
3: a company's growth where it's like, okay, you need to go from having that person who's just like scrabbling by and like checking all the boxes to actually operationalizing it and, and making it like a, a thing that you're focusing on.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's one of the things that when you first bring in a you know a VP of, of HR or a, a chief HR officer, that's one of the first things they start to look at. You know they they look at the existing processes if there are any for onboarding for recruiting for training learning and development if there aren't any they put some in place and and if there are some that have sort of been thrown together and they take a hard look at each one of those and and begin to make those processes a little bit more robust and maybe a little bit more tailored to the company they talk to employees they find out what's working what's not working
2: so what do you think most engineering teams are doing wrong when it comes to recruiting
1: So for recruiting, what I see really, really commonly is not taking open source software seriously as a team. You know, you see a lot of teams that, you know, they think that getting the product out and and having a great product is enough to to really attract people. And and I think, Mm -hmm. you know... I definitely pay really close attention in the past when I was looking at companies to, you know, what have they given back to the community? Mm. And I think, you know, what I see a lot as well, there's a real hyper focus on the highly visible perks. And my favorite example is the snacks. Mm-hmm. Oh
0: yeah. Oh, you, yeah, gotta have <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the snacks.
1: gotta have the, the banana snacks. Gotta have the snacks. Yeah. And yes. the snacks have really, they've kind of become table stakes and, and a, a bit of a cliche in 2017, but the the snacks they tie into something that i've seen not just with people operations but with technology products in general which is that you know they're they're kind of like the css animations of employee experience in the sense that they're right in front of you you can see them you can taste them and some of the other things that that really contribute to the long-term success of these companies you know, things like having a clear sense of your company values. You know, y- you can't taste values.
2: Right. Mm. Yeah, they don't
1: they don't taste like much. It's like wet cardboard.
2: Yeah, they don't they don't pop or or shake or have interesting hover effects. I mean no. I mean can I
0: judge a particular place by the kind of snacks that they have? Like if they just offer Tootsie Rolls, like can I just be living and upset all the time? Unless you like to see rolls, at least. I mean, you
1: can if you want to. But, you know, I think that in much the same way that I wouldn't judge the quality of a product by, you know, how many bells and whistles they have on the front end. Right. Especially at launch. I wouldn't judge a company's culture by what I find in the snack drawer. Got it. And I think that, you know, snacks and perks and one of my favorite examples, the puppy party. (laughs) is that that where they have a
2: puppy party they like have a bunch of puppies in the office have you never been to
3: a a puppy party it's a morale booster I feel like I've missed out we had a tipsy scoop social that was pretty nice. We
2: got to have a puppy party now. No, well, I'm right.
0: terrified of dogs, so I don't think I'll have <laughs> a good time. No, you don't know. But then they grow up to be vicious animals afterwards, <laughs> and I can't really trust them when they're small like that. You it just, turn into
1: like a little bit of a Gulliver's Travels situation where they pin you down if there's enough of them. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They just maul you <laughs> but, with love. Now, imagine it's adorable. Not gonna lie. I, I imagine it's really adorable. But yeah, I mean, you know, those, those perks, the snacks, the puppy parties, like all the, the foosball, like it's, you know, it serves to mask... Sometimes, not always, but it can serve to mask deeper cultural issues. You know, are people talking to each other? Are they giving each other, you know, candid feedback on a regular basis? What's performance management like at that company? You know, Mm -hmm. it's great to be chowing down on kind bars, but it's even cooler to be meeting your quarterly goals and know you won't be fired next quarter.
0: Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) would one have to be weary when when the perks are really, really good? Yeah, would you say
2: there's like a correlation between like snacks, like snack awesomeness, an inverse correlation between the awesomeness of the snacks and the quality of the workplace?
1: I hesitate to draw any of those kinds of inferences because I think, you know, in large part, they're really not that correlated. Mm. You know, quality of snacks, it, it tells you a lot about how much the company likes their snacks. Right. It doesn't tell you much about how... Seriously, they take their culture.
3: There are other like perks that kind of raise an eyebrow sometimes with me. Were like, like Google, you know, of course is very famous for giving us like productivity things. They'll have send someone clean your home. They'll do your laundry. They'll like do all these things to help you like have your mind at ease and stay at work for longer, which could be a good thing if like you know the team culture you are on is is awesome and you love what you're doing. But it does it does be oh, hmm. But maybe you could just. Pay me more money or I can just leave (laughs) and do my own thing at home. People
1: people are motivated by a lot of different things and and they're not always motivated by perks. You know, there's a a thing called the two-factor theory of employee happiness where they talk about, on the one hand, there being what they call motivating factors, you Mm -hmm. know, things like passion for the mission and, you know, really loving your team. And and on the other hand, there are these what they call hygiene factors, you Mm -hmm. know, like I don't know, is there parking close by? What's the commute like? Do you have to be on a sweaty train for an hour? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or even sometimes there are literal hygiene factors. You know, I don't know how the bathrooms are here. I, I didn't use the bathroom before I came in. Mm, yeah, uh, But or I've like been in places noise, that did not pollution. have acceptable bathrooms. And yeah, noise pollution, light, all kinds of things. Open plan offices can be notoriously bad for, for hygiene factors.
3: Yeah, Sonos. It's it's mm-hmm. a,
1: It's a perk sometimes, but Maybe not always. Hmm. Or even just people talking on the phone next to you and, you know, you might have headphones, but headphones, listening to music or even white noise is not as productive as working in silence if you believe the empirical evidence that's been published in peer-reviewed journals.
3: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty pretty clutch point to bring to the table with people ops. Like, hey, actually, there are scientific research that support the fact that, like, hey, decibel level is above 70. Let's bring it down a little Mm. bit.
2: So what do you think would be the easiest improvement that engineering teams in New York could make to make their workplaces better, to make their people apps better?
1: With infinite money, the easiest thing to do is give everyone an office with a door. Assuming we're not living in, you know, a place with infinite money.
0: Or infinite doors.
1: Or infinite doors. (laughs)
0: Um, Why would the offices with the door make that change so the
1: office with the door at least for engineering teams from what i've read and, and joel spolsky has written ad nauseum on this much more than than me but developers they don't do well when they're being interrupted if by noise or by you know sort of people walking by their desks or you know that tap on the shoulder of hey can you look at this and the easiest way really the only. The only foolproof way to avoid being interrupted is to go into a room, close the door, and, and if necessary, lock the door.
0: Mm. <laughs> right. I imagine knocking on a door is much more, like people are less likely to do that than tap you on the shoulder or stuff like that.
1: There's a much bigger psychological barrier. Yeah, I, I, I remember one former coworker of mine from the New York Times, had he had one of those bicycle mirrors on his laptop so that people <laughs> couldn't creep up on him. And uh... so when you approached him, from behind, he would just say, Hey Ben, what can I do for you? Oh man. Without turning around, of course.
3: <laughs> oh, I wish I had one of those. I, I used to have a boss that was like just so quietly walking all the time and he would just like pop up, he'd be like, Hey, how's it going? He's like a cartoon <laughs> character. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> So, like once once you find people and you recruit them and you get them really excited about your company, like how do you how do you keep them and make sure that they're growing
1: and have a clear purpose? So the easiest way to make sure that people stick around is to have a structured onboarding planned out before they get there. Mm, so ideally okay. before they even start, as soon as they've signed that offer letter, you've sent them a welcome packet and and brought them into what they call the pre-boarding experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm.
1: Getting them excited to start work. If you have any kind of weekly drinks or office gathering, invite them to that before they actually walk in on their first day. So that when they do walk in on their first day, they're they're walking in, giving people high fives instead of handshakes. Oh, mm. interesting.
3: Yeah. I like that.
1: Once they get there, ideally you've got their laptop set up with pretty much everything they need. The quicker you can get them spun up and actually working on something meaningful in that first week, the better. If Mm -hmm. they can push code to production on their first day, that's fantastic.
3: Mm. Yeah, that is like a pretty great feeling, like not to have to go through too many meetings Mm -hmm. to like get onboarded or too much bureaucracy.
1: Yeah, and other things that help, especially with onboarding, making sure that they have a mentor, not on their team, someone they don't work directly with, but someone who they they can just go to and vent or ask stupid questions because everyone has them and no one likes asking them. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, At one of my clients, we put together what we call the welcome wagon, and that is a group of four, five, six stakeholders or other people from across the org who just have a one-on-one during the first few weeks with the person. And they understand by talking to those people, what are the different parts of the org? What do they do? What do the people inside there care about? And and how can I work most effectively with those departments? And those cross-departmental relationships, man, they're the glue that holds the organization together. And yeah. they end up becoming like this person's little advisory board. Yeah, it's really good to
3: see like people at the lunch table or communal table, like, you know, sharing a meal and exchanging conversation and getting some different perspective. I wonder, like, is it something that you're seeing more and more like having a mentorship roles at organizations like formalized?
1: Yeah, I think it's getting much more popular because it works so well.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I've I've found pretty enjoyable at tried.
1: Yeah. And then the other things that I think really help people stick around are making sure their manager has a one on one with them every single week. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Ideally, a structured one on one. You know, one of the formats that I like is 10 minutes for the direct report to talk about whatever they want, 10 minutes for the manager to talk about whatever they want, and then 10 minutes for them to talk about. So, what are we going to do in the next week? And then also, you know, having regular check ins spaced out at a cadence, not just about the work and the manager direct relationship but about the onboarding experience itself. So separate from, you know, that weekly one-on-one, you know, after the first week there should be a second one-on-one just to talk about that first week's onboarding. Right. After 30 days, another one-on-one just to talk about that first month. And bringing that process and and taking it not just for, you know, a week, two weeks, four weeks, but taking it to 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and then all the way out to 6 months and 12 months that is really really strongly correlated with higher retention you get people on a plan that's structured that takes them six to 12 months out you see them the the figures i've read are anywhere from 60 to 70 percent more likelihood to stay three years or more
2: where do you get these stats
1: lots and lots of googling white papers (laughs) there is an organization called the society for human resource management that does a lot of research there are places like the aberdeen group a lot of management consulting firms that that sort of sell onboarding and engagement services. You know, they finance research. They have big staffs and deep pockets, and this is ha- part of how they do their sales.
2: Fascinating. Hmm. Cool.
3: Yeah, and that, that seems like a very agile concept too, of like kind of building these feedback loops and hopefully using them to steer the direction that you're you're going with all of the other employees in your hiring process and how you're. Like finding out what really works for you and the company.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think that the HR world is slowly starting to come around to understanding agile as more tech startups have taken off and, and more of them have moved into the technology and the startup industry. They've started to see like, oh, you know, this is this is how we make products for consumers and, and you know, this stuff, it, it really, really works. You build a small thing, you test it, you get some feedback, you build another small thing, repeat the cycle.
0: Mm.
3: Yeah, none of this like, but wait, I'm gonna make the most amazing policy. It's gonna be a hundred pages long. It's gonna cover every <laughs> single possible scenario. And you're all gonna love it and adhere to it every
1: day. <laughs> Even just the getting feedback from real users and and beta testing things. Beta testing your employee handbook. Mm. Sounds revolutionary, just saying it, right? <laughs> mm.
0: That's pretty interesting because like you I've been at Strive for I think I think I just hit my three year anniversary. And oh, I, I don't Congrats, think I, I don't think I've looked at my at the handbook since three years ago, which is like oh, really interesting. But so that's not entirely
3: true, because you've actually had your hand in creating some of these policies and iterating, especially yeah. on the prof dev.
0: Well, it's like, hey, Mike messed this up. We gotta make a <laughs> policy. That's like what ended up happening. <laughs> Mike introduced something that was like really out of whack. So we need to, you know, nail this down a bit. Yeah, I mean I was I was responsible for Shred has like something called professional development where consultants can take time to study whatever they want and they have hours budgeted for that. And we were trying to increase that to like motivate more developers, more consultants to like as a hiring technique to bring people in so they can introduce some of their own like unique related projects, but for the consultants themselves to stay on board and learn new things and take time to study, you know, what's hot in the market and yeah, I was responsible for building that aspect. But I think the rest of the the mm. handbook I haven't beta tested. So but it's a really <laughs> interesting concept because I think a lot of people just overlook it once they get hired and then that's it. But it's definitely an iterative process to, you know, make that handbook a lot better for the next person, for the person who's actually starting for the first time.
1: Yeah, there is an open source employee handbook, I believe, from a company called Clef. mm. Oh, really? I don't believe they're still in business, although please forgive me if I'm mistaken about that, people who <laughs> run Clef.
0: So do they I manage that like on GitHub?
3: Or yeah, it's on GitHub? GitHub. If
1: you just Google GitHub employee handbook, it's probably the first result.
0: Nice. So you could get clone, change yeah. the names to Bobby. Bam, you got your very own employee <laughs> handbook. <laughs> so speaking <Forth>. of
1: <laughs> templatized things on GitHub that are super helpful, they also have a code of conduct template which if you run a slack team or any other virtual community inside your company and you don't have a code of conduct you should really think about putting together a code of conduct. Oh interesting. And so what what exactly would that entail
3: like just would it be like something that's implicitly agreed upon or would I have to sign off on that and be like okay I've read and understand this I check the box I sign
1: my name. I mean no one's going to sue you if you boot them <laughs> yeah. from your Slack because they violated your code of conduct, but you didn't tell them what it was, right? they're not going to, you know, there's no, there's no equal Slack opportunity commission <laughs> out there. The I'm being repressed. The, the
0: equal Slack opportunity. Yeah.
1: Slack users are not a protected class, but <laughs> what you will probably get if you boot somebody from your Slack, you don't have a code of conduct is is a very frustrated and, and hurts and, and really upset and surprised person. The surprise is the worst part. You know, going going through pain is fine if you if you know it's coming, but when somebody just like blindsides you and all of a sudden, Oh my God, I'm not on the slack anymore, people take that they don't take it very well
3: right we need to set aside like which categories of gifts we want to have in the slack and mm-hmm. you know which we're just not okay with
0: no puppy gifts no nope. only yeah. cats and kittens <laughs> only cats and kittens.
3: okay
1: we're not letting you write this, uh, this <laughs> <laughs> policy <laughs> yeah, i mean it's it's every team has their own norms i've seen teams that they put together bots that will flag certain words that maybe aren't the most gender neutral or super sensitive so that if you say hey guys i've got something up on prod the bot will will ping you and say you know try using folks next time
0: oh i'm a big
1: fan of the word folks <laughs> obama also a big fan of the word folks. folks it makes you sound folksy and 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 sort of approachable like come on folks we're That's all really folks cool. here
0: yes we are all
1: folks <laughs>
2: here so is that a is that a chatbot that we could all download
1: yeah, I'm going to find it and I'll share it with you for the show notes.
0: Awesome. We got to get that on the show notes and hopefully introduce that to our clients that we're on and, and our own Slack and yeah. our own Slack channel because I, I would love to say folks more often rather than guys. <laughs> <laughs> and to have a bot
1: remind me to say folks is <laughs> pretty nifty. One of the other things that is worth mentioning while we're on the subject of bots is so I in September, I launched a Slack bot called Aloha. That is an onboarding automation bot. And it basically does the same thing that a service called Drip does with marketing automation. You know, they'll send you emails. You know, you get those emails, it's like, hey, you signed up for this service seven days ago, but you haven't logged in. What mm. can we do? It's like that, but over Slack direct messages okay. for onboarding people. So when they join, they get a note that says, hey, welcome. Here are some rules of the road. You know, don't use channel mentions because that sends a push notification. And we have a team in Poland that will wake up. Mm-hmm which is huge. Yep. And that's a really, really great place to also plug your code of conduct and say, Hey, FYI, you should read this. If you don't, and we boot you don't come crying later. Yeah. Your puppy gifts
3: are not welcome
1: here. (laughs) (laughs)
3: No,
0: I'm not going to puppy gifts are cool. I'll add that on the code of conduct. So are there any other like
1: tips or rules of thumb for onboarding that people can take away? Break it out into steps. But really granular steps, like the, the same granularity that you apply when you're breaking out user stories. Mm. So it's not just the you know, their first day at work, that's not a step. And even, you know, the moment they walk in the building, that's not really a step. You know, they show up to the building and they go through security.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a step. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. They meet their manager and are shown to orientation or their desk, that's another step. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite examples of the, the power of really breaking these things down to the steps is, you know, the scenario of what if someone needs to go to the bathroom during orientation right. or while they're being shown to their desk, you know, if they're not going to walk out of orientation on their first day of work with mm-hmm. a bunch of people they've just met for the first time to go tinkle. Right. <laughs> That's a problem.
3: Yeah. So there's like different social pressures that you're you're trying to make the best possible impression. And so you want to make them feel more comfortable.
1: Yeah. Wet
0: problems. cool ben i feel like i learned a whole lot about people ops and you know as a as a consultant you think about churning code and stuff like that but you're a person the the rest of the time that you're at work you're wetware yeah you are wetware at the end of the day so learning a lot about the human aspect and the wetware aspect that's a new word for me wetware the wetware aspect of the job is really interesting to you know step back and actually talk about that so Really appreciate you coming down and, and and sharing that.
1: Really cool. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to be here.
3: Nice, man.
0: Do we have any teach and learns?
1: Yeah, I got it. I got a teach and learn for you. So I have been learning and now I'm I'm gonna teach a little bit about a thing called OKRs. Oh. Since I started I this. Since I started for the win. I've I've learned a ton about OKRs. OKR stands for objectives the and key, key results. results. These are how organizations measure their performance. But more importantly, OKRs, it's something that you can cascade down from the organization to departments. So each department might have their own OKRs that contribute to the objectives at the top. Mm-hmm. And then each individual manager and every single one of the direct reports also has their objectives and their key results that will tell them that they're moving on the way towards getting those things done. Mm. So it's a nice way of making sure that you know people are very bad at remembering things that every single person remembers what they're actually supposed to accomplish and also the things that will let them know they're accomplishing those things. Mm. And that all of those objectives are tied into the objectives of one level up.
3: Yeah, that sounds, sounds useful, but tricky to balance because I'm sure like numbers are
1: helpful, but a lot of numbers. Yeah, are... and they're not necessarily even quantitative goals, but mm. the main thing is just making those objectives explicit Mm -hmm. And making those markers along the way explicit, you know, that's really the only way that everybody can be on the same page about what we're really supposed to be doing here. And that's, you know, reason most projects fail in my experience is people not being aligned on the goals. Cool.
0: Yeah, I dig it. Awesome. Ben, thanks so much for coming on now. This was a great conversation.
1: Thank you very, very much. And if anybody wants to catch me on the internet, I am Benjamin Jackson on Twitter My website is ftw.myc. You can email me at omg at ftw.myc. And I hope to see you all around. Yeah. And that's for the win, right? That is for the win, helping small teams with big plans. Boom. Love it.
0: Awesome. I'd like to thank our producer. William, thanks for coming on down. Anytime. And our co-host, Dave. Thank you. Awesome, man. Great being here. I'm Michael Nunez and you can reach us on twitter.com slash radio Free rabbit please if you're listening and you haven't subscribed please subscribe and you know always give us a five-star rating whenever you can <laughs> this is the rabbit hole we'll see you next time